Hi, I'm Scotty. Some of my favorite memories from college involve Baylor football. And many of those memories are accompanied by great memories of the banter that came with the territory. Yeah, it's the banter that makes college football so fun, and that's what I'm here to bring to you. Bears Illustrated presents Please Bear With Me. Hello, Baylor fans. Welcome into the Please Bear With Me podcast. It is so good to have you listening. I'm Scotty Swingler. I do wish to congratulate Matt Rule and the Baylor football team on their first win of the season coming in Lawrence, Kansas this past Saturday. An outstanding moment for this team, for these guys who have worked so hard, for this coaching staff who is working so hard. Very, very proud. Keep up the good work and fans, keep up the support. I'm honestly not going to do a lot of talking today because I have two guests here with me who are absolutely fantastic. You are going to hear from my friend Hunter Cook. Hunter used to write for Viva the Matadors and he now writes for Die Hards. He is a Big 12 writer who is a unashamed Texas Tech fan and he and I are going to preview this Saturday's matchup as Baylor and Texas Tech meet in Arlington to face each other on the football field. And there's some pretty interesting storylines heading into that one. And so we'll talk to you about that. And after you hear my conversation with Hunter, you are going to have the opportunity to hear this conversation that I had yesterday with Rachel Barabo, who, if you do not know who Miss Barabo is, you need to check her out on Twitter, go to her website, see what she is all about. She is at the forefront of the Changing the Narrative campaign, and she has become a very important figure in Baylor football over the past, you know, nine months or so, ten months or so, ever since Matt Rule was hired at Baylor and has started putting in his program. She has been absolutely pivotal in the growth and the character of this football team. And honestly, it is my favorite conversation I've gotten to have in doing this podcast so far. She's awesome. And so you will hear that after my preview with Hunter Cook. And so I really hope you enjoy those two conversations. That's about all I'm going to have for you this week before we come back next week with something awesome. And so enjoy. Here's my conversation with Hunter Cook of Die Hearts. All right, you good? Yeah, let's do it. You ready to talk? Okay. <laughs> let's awesome. let's see, see if what we can do, man. Okay, let's, let's talk. See if we can pull hey. this off. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, give my listeners a, a little bit of insight because most of them will have been following Baylor quite closely, but probably not Texas Tech. And from somebody who's been living in Waco and trying to follow Baylor a lot, Tech started out as a team that, you know, at three and one, I'm thinking, oh man, they could they could push for TCU, they could push for Oklahoma State, and then 
it seems as if the wheels fell off the, the wagon. What's going on in Lubbock? I don't think necessarily like the wheels fell off the wagon as much as the wagon wasn't as put together as we thought it was. When you look back at Texas Tech, Texas Tech's wins over Arizona State and Houston, they were ahead by a significant amount and then let those teams back in the second half. So it was really kind of like a microcosm of that entire season. Like they were doing the exact same things they were doing. Just those teams coming back in the second half are winning now. Like you blow an 11-point lead over West Virginia at halftime. You give up 29 straight points. Blow a lead over Kansas State, which obviously that the, the Kansas State game might have been uh, the kill shot to Cliff Kingsbury and Lubbock, but we'll talk more on that later. But yeah, it the, the wheels aren't necessarily falling off. It's just that Texas Tech, while improved definitely on the defensive side of the ball, is kind of well, it was kind of like a paper tiger. Like it definitely propped up a little bit um, based on what we wanted it to be. Like it. Because at the beginning, it was that Texas Tech team that we always thought like Cliff could have. Like we finally have the defense, or they they finally have the defense. They finally have like really good offensive players. This is this is the pinnacle. This is it. This is the team that's going to do it. And everything fell apart. It's exactly like it was in 2016 and 2014 when Texas Tech missed the bowl game. Um, but yeah. What do you think the players' response has been to that? Because, um, again, just coming from what I've watched at Baylor, despite Baylor being, for the most part, terrible this year, um, a lot of the guys have managed to stay relatively positive. You know, it's a lot of freshmen. It's a, you know, a lot of room to grow. What has the players' response, do you think, has been to starting hot and then kind of having this losing streak? I think it's been a lot of frustration. I, I really do. And I can, it, it's a frustration that's understandable because when you start like that, you start so hot and nearly upset a team like Oklahoma State at home, like you feel like you have a lot of momentum. And then like in one half, it just all comes crashing down on you. All the momentum that you think that you built is immediately gone. And like every other fan base in the nation, there can be like uh, knee-jerk reactions. But I think the knee-jerk reaction to uh, Texas Tech uh, blowing that lead against West Virginia was not all unwarranted. I mean, this is a team that does not play well with a lead and does not put does not play well in behind. They are just not. Um, they, they were. They're not really great in the second half, and they. I don't think they ever have been outside of a couple of games against a really really overmatched, like say Kansas squad or Iowa State back in the day. I I, I think they are very frustrated because this is a older team like Kiki Cutie is he's been here for a while Nick Shimanek's been here for a while Deshaun Johnson Dakota Allen like those are all guys that have significant amounts of games in the Texas Tech uniform and they're still not getting it done I, I think that the difference between I, I think the difference is definitely in like seniority and just based on like it really seems like everything is just happening again like I don't know so I don't know is it performance or is it schematic i think it's both i i think it is i think um something that isn't kind of touched on is just um culture i think i think um cliff kingsbury's teams have gained themselves a reputation 
that in the beginning was maybe undeserved. Like 2014, oh man, they're awful on the defensive side of the ball. They can recover from that. But now that this has been a recurring theme over the years, when I, I just think right now, as long as Cliff Kingsbury is the head guy, that culture looms over Texas Tech no matter what they do. I think schematically it's fine. I think it's fine to have a bend but don't break defense and a fantastically like fast offense. I think Kiki Cutie is one of the best wide receivers in the nation when he's put in good positions. I think Dakota Allen and Jordan Brooks are one of the be- a more underrated uh, linebacker tandems in the Big 12. I just don't think that everything is always there. And at this point, the only thing that hasn't been widely considered is just a mental block that comes from playing for this team that has had such um, ridiculous amounts of failure in the very, very recent past. Yes or no, if if Tech loses to Baylor Saturday, Cliff's gone. I think he is. And if he doesn't make a bowl game, I think he's gone anyways. You can't, like, you can't miss a bowl uh, three out of five years as a head coach. At a program like Texas Tech, obviously not like, I wouldn't say a blue blood in college football, but definitely a program that has been, had a lot of success, especially since the 1990s. Like, Texas Tech only had two losing seasons before the Cliff Kingsbury era since like 1990, which is something that isn't always like talked about when you talk about Texas Tech. It's, oh man, they've always like struggled. They've historically been bad, but they had a good amount of momentum even before the Mike Leach years, historically. And the Kingsbury era, whether warranted or unwarranted, um, whether it was Tommy Tuberville or not, something happened in the past five years that has caused all that momentum just come crashing down. And it'll take a while to really diagnose it. We'll, we'll have to like wait until another coach gets in and implements his culture and philosophy to see exactly, to be able to diagnose exactly what happened. Because then we'll be able to tell a tangible difference from Cliff Kingsbury to the next guy from those same players. If he does lose at Baylor, I, I think he's gone. Um, I think there's a distinct possibility that he doesn't make it back from Dallas. I, it, it very well could be a situation where he's uh, fired on the spot. I, there have been rumors float, there were rumors floating around last year towards the end of the year that, you know, if he doesn't beat Baylor, then... You know he's gone. He, he's he's gone. There's like nothing you can do. They're gonna fire him after the end of the season. I still think his buyout is too big to fire during the season. But after the season, when that uh, when that buyout shrinks again, and maybe if they can convince him to do even smaller installments of it over the years, I, I do think he's gone after this season if he misses a bowl game. But missing a bowl game would involve losing to Baylor. But is is he gone just if they miss a bowl, or is he is it is the writing already in the wall? Is he already gone? Because I, I heard, and I, I wasn't watching and I wasn't there, I heard he got booed off the field this last Saturday. Yeah, that, uh, the booing happened for a while, and I think there's a general like unrest among the fan base. Like Texas Tech is consistently in the top half of the Big 12 in terms of attendance, and when you're having a, attendance problems there, in Lubbock from your students, that's a problem. And there were maybe from what I, I wasn't there either. When you were bar- when you're barely getting a third of the stadium capacity that you used to, that used to like sell out with sixty thousand to sixty five thousand fans 
it's a problem. It's a problem. And it's kind of emblematic that you've lost the school. And if when you've lost the school, the money dries up. When the money dries up, it'll happen eventually. So the writing may very well already be on the wall. I don't think there's anything yet to where we can say definitively, yes, he's absolutely gone after this year. But I do think there's a very strong possibility of that. So we have two teams coming into this this game Saturday who are not happy with their seasons. Tech, for obvious reasons. Baylor, for even more obvious reasons. However, this Baylor team, Hunter, believe it or not, is coming in with a surprising amount of positivity and a surprising amount of desire and hunger. Even though there's no, you know, we are not even capable of reaching a bowl game this season, not even capable of really doing anything, but the guys want to win. And I think even though it was Kansas, I think winning 38-9 to felt really good last week. And then you've got a Tech team coming in off just another collapse of a loss. How do these two storylines of these two teams and their uh, disappointing 2017 seasons collide Saturday? And how do you expect both teams to come out emotionally? I think for Texas Tech, I think they will come out uh, with a little bit of fire. I think Baylor will come out very consistently, kind of even keeled. I feel like that's more of Matt Rule's personality, um, that he is not like going to be ridiculously fired up for any one single game. For Texas Tech, I think they have to come out fired up for this game because if you lose it, like you have to play two of the best defenses in the con- in the conference at TCU and Texas in the next weeks. The probability of you reaching a bowl drops dramatically. So if you want to like save your job, if you want to save your season – you have to come out fired up. Now for Baylor, I think they can definitely come fired up to potentially like ruin a season. I think they can come out fired up because they finally seem to be on the right track. I, I think it'll be a fairly highly emotional game. This has always been a very competitive, um, a very high scoring matchup between the two teams. And I don't think there's any love lost in this kind of like quasi pseudo rivalry that is brewing between Baylor and Texas Tech. It's always a fun game. It's never going to be boring, no matter how, no matter what the records of the two teams are coming in. Someone's scoring 50 points. It's going to be, someone is going to put on a show in this game. Now, who that team will be, I don't know. I think parts of Baylor, um, such as Baylor's defensive line, don't really match up well with what Texas Tech tries to do on offense. But also, I don't think like, the Texas Tech secondary matches up particularly well with uh, like Ish Wainwright and Denzel Mims. I think Denzel Mims is a really good wide receiver. I think our tallest, the Texas Tech's tallest defensive, it, it, Texas Tech's tallest person in the secondary is Desmond Smith, who sits at six two, but he's a corner. All of our all of the safeties are 5'11", 6 foot, and you obviously have Ish Wainwright, who you know people forget he played basketball. He's huge. I think that's a massive matchup problem I think there are a lot of matchup problems for both teams in this game and I think that's going to be I I have no idea what's going to happen I'm I'm using all these words to trying to tie back to a central thing that like I honestly don't know I feel like a lot of the times I have a really good handle on what Baylor specifically and Texas Tech specifically can do but when placed in this kind of cauldron together I have no idea what's going to happen. I feel like that's going to be a lot of the fun of this game. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and if it makes you feel any better, Ish Wainwright hasn't done anything this season. <laughs> so he just had his first 
I believe, catch and touchdown against Kansas. So uh, you make a good point about the, the short in the secondary, but I'd be, I'd be more worried about Mims than, than a guy like Wainwright. Who are, well, I, I, are, I, th- I think you, I, I think you underestimate Texas Tech's ability to have someone on the other team have a career day. <laughs> Te- uh, Chris Warren barely gets any carries for Texas anymore. He rushed for like what three hundred yards on Texas Tech in twenty fifteen. Is the best game of his yeah. career. Yeah. He got more carries in that game than he did in like the previous four games combined. Right. Or something ridiculous. Like this, this isn't a normal team. This is not a normal defense. This is. These are two teams that just like strange things happen with, and when you throw that and throw those together, incredibly unpredictable. Well, and I think you made a really good point earlier when you said this is this is kind of a pseudo rivalry, right? Like no one thinks Baylor Texas Tech as as these just intense rivals, but since the the site has gone neutral and. Man, I, I've really watched as, as Baylor and Tech fans get at each other, and I love it. Hey, what are a couple of matchups you're watching? Maybe, you know, you already pointed out Baylor's defensive line or Tech's secondary. If either team is going to win, who are some guys that need to step up? I think Texas Tech is going to have to play um, my large adult son, Desmond Nisby, a lot. He's a massive dude. This is the biggest running back Texas Tech has had in the Cliff Kingsbury era. He's just a load, and he's he runs and is very, very similar to Oklahoma's Trey Sermon. And I think that Tech is going to give him a lot of carries this week. He's going to be back. Um, he was not playing. He was not active for last week's game. Don't really know why, because Cliff is definitely a person who likes to keep things to himself, which is understandable. So I think Desmond Nisby is going to be a massive, massive uh, person to watch, especially on goal line scenarios. I think Texas Tech's other running back, Trey King, has had a pretty good season for himself, too. Uh, for a Tech, this depends on how well they can mix things up because Nick Shemanek uh, has kind of struggled with his reads uh, at time down the field. And he doesn't have exactly the arm that Patrick Mahomes does, which, you know, as we're seeing in the NFL, like not many people do. Not a bad thing, just different. I think a lot of this is going to be how well Tech gets the running game queued up against Baylor's just depleted um, team. Another part of this, I think, is we'll see how exactly far Baylor has come. I don't think anyone expected the Matt Rule transition uh, to success to happen overnight, but I do think there is a little bit of a higher expectation at the beginning, maybe not now, than... Um, you probably should have had for it. I recall after y'all played Oklahoma very, very close in the second half, half, they barely got out of there with a win. Someone said, like, this is Baylor at its worst, and this other side is peak OU. I think it would be best uh, for y'all's fan base to avoid thinking in absolutes like that, especially because like that's this is not like a peak Oklahoma team at all. Their leading receiver is a freshman. They're probably their biggest running back is who had 12 carries for like 140 something yards on y'all is a freshman as well. This is not going to be a short-term rebuild for Baylor. Success uh, y'all might not make a bowl game next year. I do think if y'all give Matt Rule the time, he can build that program up in the right way. But it could take five years. I, I don't think it's, I think it's really, really early to judge anything ironclad, 
But I do think this game will give you a good baseline for how well Baylor has played so far. If they can come, if they can beat a team that so, like slows down in the second half tremendously and show an ability to come back, I think a second half win is going to be big for the emotion and the intensity of that team. If that if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And I was going to ask you about you. You wrote an article for diehards.com where you actually said like explicitly outright Baylor has a very real chance to win this game is that the main factor that Baylor has shown some resiliency late in games and tech has not or is there is there something more to that I I think that yeah I think that is a very very real thing I think Baylor is a solid program I I think that they had a couple of really really bad breaks especially with injuries this year would they have been a bowl team? I don't know. It's it's impossible to say definitively what Baylor would have been without like like something else to frame it to, to frame it with. I think Baylor has a very real chance to win this game because they have shown resilience in the second half. Texas Tech is decidedly not a second half team. They will like Tech is going to have to play incredibly well in the second half. I think though what's going to be unique about this one, you will essentially know who's going to win the game halfway through the second quarter. I think if Texas Tech gets up um, by over 30, which, again, is completely and totally possible, I think that uh, that game's probably over right then and there. I think if they get anything under a 30-point lead, though, that Baylor can conceivably come back from that. This is, I mean, <laughs> it's a neutral site game, not at home. Texas Tech plays better but not incredible at home they kind of have struggled on the road in the past under cliff kingsbury but there is a very like there's a there's a good chance that baylor pulls this one out i would not pet i wouldn't put anything past this this game and this like kind of quasi rivalry to happen now we won't be able to determine whether that comeback is the pro is a product of the failures of cliff kingsbury or the success of Matt Rule for another couple years. I think it's way too early to tell anything about Rule. And even though he is 1-8, I think he's got Baylor on the right track. But I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a really, really early to make any sort of definitive call about Matt Rule other than they are trending in a good direction. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with you about Coach Rule. Hey, last question before I tell you goodbye. How, and I'm only asking because I haven't watched a lot of Texas Tech this year. How does Texas Tech defend against the quarterback that can run? Because I can tell you one of the biggest storylines in Waco has been Baylor's offensive line is depleted. And as soon as we started playing Michael Brewer's little brother, Charlie, he's been killing it. Um, and part of that is his ability to escape and make defenses pay with his legs. How, how has Tech defended quarterbacks that can run? Very carefully. Uh, I don't know exactly how they'll be. Against some mobile quarterbacks, they've more than held their own. And against other mo mobile quarterbacks, they've completely done terrible. I think they were fantastic against, um, uh, against a mobile quarterback against Arizona State and against Houston. And then I think they've kind of uh, struggled at other times. They've definitely struggled with uh, Mason Rudolph, who we think of as a pocket passer, but definitely has some wheels to him. And I think he's very akin to Charlie Brewer in the style of play and what he does not 
Again, not definitively saying that Charlie Brewer is going to be Mason Rudolph or not, just that their style of play reminds me of each other. I, I, I don't know. I really wish I could say, but I think having Jordan Brooks back this week, he was out last week with an illness, I think that is a huge benefit for Texas Tech. And I think Texas Tech's uh, linebackers, Dakota Allen and Jordan Brooks, some of the best in the conference. And I think that's going to be a major factor in how they do defend uh, Baylor going mobile when they can't. Very good. Hey, man, I really appreciate you talking with me for the podcast. Keep doing your thing, brother. All right, dude. Take it easy. I hope you enjoyed that preview of Baylor, Texas Tech this coming weekend. And now it is my absolute pleasure to give you this conversation with Rachel Barbo. Why don't you just start by telling me about your career as a journalist and, you know, I get on your website and I read something about you participating in a professional football training camp. And so tell me about your career, how you got into what you're doing and some of the highs and lows along the way. Yeah, it's been it's been really remarkable. Um, I, you know, the funny thing is, is I didn't even know that I wanted to be a sportscaster. I knew that I had a strong interest in sports, having brothers that played literally every uh, sport imaginable. Uh, so I knew that, you know, I knew that I loved sports, but I just thought I was going to be a general assignment reporter. And and I got to school and realized that house fires and car wrecks just really weren't my thing um, and I'm way too sensitive for that. And uh, as fate would have it, as God would have it for me, I got sent out to do a um, a baseball story and never forget it. You know, it was kind of like the clouds parted and the sun shone through and it was my aha moment. <laughs> Uh, that I knew that that was what I was going to do with my life. And from that moment forward, I've been a sportscaster. And, you know, I've done all these other wonderful things as an offshoot, but that's, you know, that, that moment forward, it was like my, my future was semen. And then not long after that, I was, I was called by the campus TV station to work the Syracuse Auburn game. And it went into like three overtimes and it was late in the night. And I just remember that euphoric feeling on the sidelines. And thinking, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, this is it. And, um, I, I love this game so much. And I love the adrenaline, the speed of the game and all of it. And I just said, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. And, and so from there, you know, I've, I have been a little bit unique in the sense that I'm in radio and there's not a ton of women in radio and I mentor yeah. young women. Yeah. And I encourage them to get into sports talk radio because you know, when if you can talk about the game and talk to coaches and talk to players uh, for three hours, four hours at a time, you know, there's really an understanding of the game, and I've just continued to grow. And and then a couple of years ago, Sirius called and made me the first female. At that time, it was College Sports Nation, and now it's, we're rebranded to ESPNU, but the first female on the station, first female host. And so that, to me, was, you know, humongous because it's for my, my knowledge, my ability to communicate, you know, uh, they always say in radio, you do three things. You inform, you bond, and then you entertain every, every segment. And so every, every, every time you go on the radio and people may not like you, but they, you know, they might like to hate you. And so radio has been amazing. And then about four years ago, uh, I was tapped and chosen to host the very first college football playoff, the pregame and the halftime in Jerry's world, uh, in Dallas and at yeah. Cowboy Stadium and just you know I just that year lost my uh lost my dad unexpectedly and it's just been a hard year I had to climb Kilimanjaro I'd gotten very sick and and I just remember right before 
we went on just having chills from head to toe and thinking um, these people that I've lost, like my grandmother and my dad, you know, they're all around me. I can feel them like angels all around me. And I remember thinking, and I said to Bill Hancock, ahead of the college football playoff, I said, you know, have you had a chance to, to wrap your head around the fact that we're literally rewriting the, co- the, the history books of college football right now? And I don't even remember what he said <laughs> because I was just, you know, in this euphoric state and, you know, just operating on some higher level. Um, but, you know, it, it's moments like that uh, that I'll always remember. And, you know, I remember uh, as well the lows of, you know, how subjective this industry can be and how hard it can be and how if one person doesn't like you, they can, you know, they can wreck a job for you or they can, you know, it's very subjective and you have to have a thick skin. But I think more than anything, more than any of those moments, it's just the people for me, the people, the players I've gotten to touch, the people I've gotten to hug, the relationships that I have. And my relationships in my life trump anything. My relationships trump money. They trump success. They trump fame. They trump all those things. And somewhere along the way, I met, a speaking of relationships, a man named Kevin Turner, who I in turn ended up being so inspired by his fight against ALS that I climbed Kilimanjaro for him. And really, because of him, I, I the the movement in part uh, changing the narrative was born. If I'd never met him, I never would have gotten out of my own way, and I would yeah. still be a fame hungry young sportscaster, you know, looking for my name in the headlights. Yeah, so that changed your perspective. Would you Would you just tell me really quickly this story about participating in a football training camp? Absolutely. Uh, I was doing radio and uh, in Columbus, Georgia, and I had just gotten my first full-time gig. I'd worked for almost three years for free. So I always tell people, don't ever give up. If it's something that you want, you'll find a way. And I'd just gotten a paying job, and I was super excited about it and had a great show. And we had a guy that would call in a lot, and, and he was a redneck and an old, you know, cr- crusty redneck. And I can already hear his voice. Oh, my gosh. And this is my best rendition of it. It says something like, um, hey, girl, you don't know nothing about football. You ain't never strapped <laughs> on a helmet. And he would call in all the time, and, and you know, and it would get to me. And and I would say, oh, no, no, I know about football. What are you talking about? No, 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 I do. What are you talking about? And, you know, and, and so around that time, my co-host says, well, why don't you go to training camp with the Columbus Lions at the professional indoor football team, and they were championship team. Yeah. 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 And so the coach came on, and he said, uh, we we kind of blindsided him, and he came back and said, hey, listen, I'll let you do this, but just a a few, uh, you know, uh, ground rules. One, you got to get, you know, cleared by the league. You got to get a physical. You got to sign release forms, and uh, we're going to tackle you, by the way. And yes. for those that don't know, I'm 5'3", like a buck 30. You know, I'm a, I'm a... I'm a petite woman, and so I ended up lasting for five days of two-a-days, three hours of football in the morning, three hours of football at night. I played wide receiver in DB, and I had bruises and ice packs from literally the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. It was the scariest, most amazing, most unreal, most terrifying, most rewarding uh, experience in my life, like up there, top three, top five. And, wow. and I now do have a, an, ex, an understanding of football that really a lot of other women don't because I've seen it from the inside out. And, and what the neatest part of it is, is I didn't know then, you know, that act of bravery of doing this, um, putting literally my life on the line, uh, uh, would help me later on, uh, when I go to speak to these young men. Because once I show them the video and tell them I played football, there's a level of respect that happens. Mutual credibility. Oh, absolutely. 
and they listen, you know, and, and that's the funny thing because I get people to ask me all the time. They say, oh, but do these guys really listen to you when you when you go talk to them? You know, like, are they eating Skittles and playing on their phone? And it's, right. it's, it's really a funny question to me to ask, first of all. But secondly, yeah, they listen. They absolutely listen because the sequence of my life, the experiences of my life, I think were really laid out. Uh, to be able to get their attention, to be able to make an impact on them. So absolutely, they listen. Let me ask you, well, let me say first, you said, well, I've participated in this training camp, so I have a experience that not many women have an understanding that not many, that's an understanding yeah. not many people have. <laughs> because listen, there's guys like me who might have played in high school but had no chance of playing football beyond that. And I wish I would kill to take part in something like that, to be on the field with some of the best. So that's incredible. Before I, I ask you about Baylor, just one more thought I had based on something you said. You said you worked for free for three years. You tell people never to give up. What? And I know that you could probably go for an hour on this, but briefly, what would your message be to any young women who might be listening, who feel as if they're having a hard time getting to where they want to be because of, be it stereotypes or just competition, limited roles, What? how would you encourage some of the young women that listen to this podcast to push forward? You know, um, I always, I heard, uh, first of all, I heard, uh, I think it was Dr. Laura, sometimes when I'm driving really long distances and, I'm, and I've uh, listened to sports for hours and hours and hours, I need a you know, slight break, I'll listen to Dr. Laura to other people's problems. And, uh, and, a little change uh, of pace. Right? And so, and she said something one time that was really profound. She said, you know, make the decision that your future self would be proud of in 20 years. And I, that just hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, and, and that can go for your personal life, for your professional life. But if you think about the decisions you're making, how you treat people, your job decisions, whether or not you're going to give up, intestinal fortitude, all those things, make the decision that your future self will be proud of. So if that's the case and you're a woman and, and you're languishing in your job or you can't find anything, as a matter of fact, I, I mentor young women in the sports business, and I was actually talking to a young woman yesterday about this very subject, and I told her, I said, there is a plan for your life, and it's a great plan, and don't you dare give up. And right now, right now, it, it seems bleak. Right now, you know, it seems hopeless, and, 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 you know, you got turned down for this job, and you don't understand why, but one day this will make sense. I promise you this will make sense. When you're in the job, somewhere else and you're ridiculously happy or you're, you know, or you're, uh, you're learning or you're pressed, it will make sense. And so what I would say, just don't give up. Just don't give up because your future self 20 years from now will be so proud of the young woman that didn't give up. That's, that's the biggest thing to me. And, and there is a plan and, and understand that things happen in divine order. At least that's what I believe and everything happens for a purpose. And so you know, there are many, many times, and, and I'll end it here, there are many, many times I have thought about giving up because this industry can be cruel and people can be cruel and the world can be cruel. But each time I've had people say to me in different ways, whisper in my ear messages, text messages, emails, if you give up, what will happen to the rest of us? Hmm. You know, and, and I, I look to you. You're an inspiration. If you give up, then what will I do? And so, you know, there are people watching you and they're watching your journey and uh, they need you not to give up. But most importantly, you, your future self, needs you not to give up. Yeah, that's powerful. Crazy. Ugh, man. Okay. 
So how did you get involved with Baylor's situation? You know, so Baylor was the catalyst um, for changing the narrative that I created in 2016, this curriculum that really just encourages men to, to live out their life as kings in every aspect of their life. And it talks about pa- passion and purpose and platform and how do we view women and how do we treat women. And and um, it, why why I started it was because, you know, of, of uh, situations like Baylor, like Jeffrey Simmons at Mississippi State, like cases that were going on all over the country, but you know, at that time it was Baylor and it was big right. and it was ugly and it was talked about. And there were times that I would push away from my desk at Sirius on breaks and cry, literally cry tears uh, of the things that I had to read. And and once uh, once Matt Rule took over there, I immediately and I had interviewed him on Sirius and and knew of him and would call him an acquaintance because I liked so many of these coaches. But I immediately reached out to him on Twitter and said, "Hey, can we talk?" And this was in think I think January of 2017 and and uh, we talked and at the end of the conversation I, I love this I'll never forget it he said hey listen I, I, I don't know if this is going to offend you but but you find me of a preacher and I said um, that's awesome actually, I know I said that does quite the opposite I said I'm, I'm completely honored and I said no by the way I am ordained I got ordained to marry a friend and I've also baptized my uh, my godmother and her husband so um <laughs> It, it doesn't hit, uh, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But, no, I thanked him for that. But he said, you know, Rachel, I want you here. I think this message is powerful. But understand, because of everything that happened here, it might take a while. You know, there's a lot of layers we have to permeate. There's a lot of things we have to do, a lot of people we have to talk to. So I just dug my heels in, as I have often done in my career, and I just said, okay, I'm in for the long haul. So I would, you know, check in, check in at the end of February, check in at the end of March, check in uh, sometime in April, and then in May, finally, he said, uh, we're going to have a conversation with the powers that be, and there were a number of uh, uh, administration and athletic department and higher-ups that got on a phone call with me and asked me everything, everything about my past and my history and my message, and they completely and thoroughly vetted me, and at that point, we set a, a date, and, um, you know, it was the end of June, and really, it was the uh, it was the, the date that, that everything changed for me in terms of changing the narrative. I'd been to some amazing schools, um, but getting to fight for, for young men at Baylor that did nothing wrong, not a player, not a coach, not a person administration that had anything to do with the atrocities that went on there with select players and coaches, but yet, you know, they were getting thrown under the bus, and, and I didn't know that God was pulling me there, a gravitational pull to fight for them, somebody from the outside. Uh, but that's, in fact, what he was doing, and that day really changed my life. What's impressed you most about Matt Rule's leadership? Just how solid he is. You know, he's just, nothing rocks him. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. He doesn't get too crunk. You know, he doesn't get too, <laughs> uh, you know, like, I'm sure he does in the locker room. I'm sure after the win, you know, Kansas, I'm sure there was. But he just he just is really even-keeled. And what I like to say about Matt is, He's salt of the earth, and he has now become a dear friend of mine. I know his father. I got a chance to, to eat with his father. They brought me back for the third time, uh, and this will be a longstanding relationship with Baylor, but they brought me back for a third time over homecoming, and they allowed me to surprise the guys at Whataburger the night before, and the genuine reactions were just beautiful. And then the next day, I got to go to chapel with them. I got to sit in the pregame meeting, and really I was just pinching myself thinking, who gets to do this? Like, people yeah. don't get to do this. And I got to listen to his pregame message about just striking the rock, continue to strike the rock, continue to strike the rock. And you don't know if it's 
the last hit, you know, the last strike or the one 300 swings ago that caused the rock to break, but you just keep striking the rock. And so for me, I call him, like I said, salt of the earth. And um, he's just an even kill guy. He's a solid guy. And then after meeting his daddy and, and, and having the pregame meal with him and just loving him, I know where he gets it from, and he's the best possible thing that Baylor could ever imagine. What are some moments that come to you as you think of some of the guys on the team where you're like, these guys get it? And, and like, like, cause you said, and this is kind of what a lot of those of us who went to school at Baylor and root for Baylor have thought is, man, we've got the bad guys out of here, right? Like, the, the most of these young men left as far as anybody knows are just solid good guys what are a couple of the moments where that really hit you yeah i mean there's been there's been so many um but i remember the second time i came back the first time uh i came i came uh, I, I didn't really fully understand until i i was on the way and i had some people kind of fill me in on everything that had happened there and 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 the way that these players had been really verbally accosted and uh, abused and called names and people dressing up no means no, you know, football games and their parents the same way and 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 regular Baylor students had been subjected to the same thing and it just really broke my heart. And so when I went in to talk to them the first time, I tell you what, their heads were kind of a little bit bowed, you know, their spirits were bowed. They didn't want to be talked at again. But when they found out that I came to fight for them. Um, and I believed in them, like everything changed, scales fell off their eyes and, and a bond was formed. And, and so the first time it was like 40 guys, 40 or 50 guys stayed to, to talk to me afterwards and hug me and cry and tell me their dreams and their fears. And one wrote in my book, thank you for coming for us. We thought the whole world had forgotten us, you know, and I didn't even find it till two days later when I was speaking to Alabama and I was sitting on the edge of a bed. And, I just cried, you know, I cried just raw tears of emotion. And I remember leaving Dow- uh, Waco that day to drive back to Dallas that night after I spoke the first time. And I just cried the whole way back. And it was just tears of joy, tears of sadness, tears of, okay, this is what I was born for. Tears of just the bond, the immense bond that I have with these guys. And I remember the second time I came back, I uh, one of the young men messaged me afterwards because what happens is, the the really the the sweet spot is is after the talk where they come and I get to hug them and they tell me their dreams and their fears and what they want to do to change the world. But one young man and so they follow me on Twitter. I follow them back and we have this safe space to DM and we keep in contact. And one young man told me that he left the complex and he was on the way to dinner and he was late and he was trying to you know hurry and. And a car got in an accident to the left of him. It didn't look that serious, but his first inclination was to keep going. He said, I'm late for dinner. I got to go. But he said, what would a king do? Because that's what I encourage him to be, kings in every facet of their life. He said, what would a king do? So he whipped the car back around. car was, I think, upside down, and he was able to kind of crawl in. And the mom had a really serious arm injury, and the two kids were screaming, and they were very scared. They were young kids. And he was one of the first on the scene, and he was able to – uh, comfort these children and be there with them to the ambulance got there till they got the mom situated and I just asked him I said how did that make you feel and he said like a king Rachel like a king and it's just in those moments that uh, I know I'm raising up a generation of young men and, and their parents a lot of them do the, the heavy lifting but some of them don't have the great examples in their home and, and I know what I'm doing and helping these young men equipping them for the future and lastly 
I think I'm going to try to cry on this one, but the homecoming, I got invited to run the Baylor line and, and, uh, I stayed obviously and watched the game and I was there on the bench and, you know, at first the, the, the guards didn't know who I was, but they were like, Oh, we know her. She's with, you know, she's with Baylor football. And then towards the end of that game, when they had the, you know, the comeback, the 23 unanswered in the fourth quarter, yeah. I was just, you know, at first I was like, okay, be neutral, don't don't freak out, you know. But then I just love these guys so much, you know. It's like I don't care, you know. I was openly cheering, you know. And uh, just to watch them, I watched them intently on the sideline, and there was just never any quit in them ever. And I've seen, I've seen young men quit. I've seen a lot of it, even in one game. And I never saw an ounce of it on that sideline. And even when they didn't win the game, I ran out with them and. I was hugging them and telling them to keep their chin up and how much I believed in them. And they went to kneel and pray. And I was hugging one of the guys, and and uh, he just grabbed my hand and I, and I said, "Can I kneel and pray with you?" And he said, "Please, I'd really love that." And so, you know, I was able to be in the huddle with them and kneel and pray on the field. And I said it in a recent article, like I don't even I just put my Baylor line jersey back up on the wall. I didn't even want to wash it. It smells like that football team. And to me. That's the sweetest smell, even though it's really not in real life. Um, <laughs> but it's a sweet smell of memories. And um, and I, I got a, a few messages afterwards, but Charlie Brewer messaged me and just said, thank you so much for coming and for believing in us and for being there. I saw you on the bench, and you don't even know what that meant to me and and, and to us. And, and, you know, it's just messages like that that you know you're making a difference, and that's everything. With all of that in mind, and that's that's a lot of stuff, what is the central message that you would want to send to college football fans about the guys on this Baylor football team? That they're kings, and you got to support them. They are amazing young men. They are fathers, and their sons, and brothers, and their nephews, and they have they have plans, and they are already underway, and they're enacting it to change the world, and they are changing the world with their good deeds. And we've even had we've even had conversations about how football team can help heal the world of racism mm. and how we can teach as a football team, we can teach the rest of the world to work towards a common goal and love each other and respect each other, even though we didn't come from the same background. But this Baylor team is already setting the world on fire, which is their example of how they have responded to all this hatred uh, from outside, from people that are willfully ignorant, how they haven't lashed out how they haven't, you know, uh, gotten back in their face when many people would, and that would be a, a logical thing to do. The class that they've shown, the restraint that they've shown, the service in the community, the way that uh, they have just carried themselves. And to me, I think the biggest thing is just the fact that there is no quit in them. There is no quit. I'm telling you, I have I have seen many, many a, a football team in lesser circumstances quit. And it just makes me incredibly, incredibly proud of these young men. So I would just ask you to continue to support them, continue to uh, to go to games, continue to support them in the offseason, continue to lift them up, and, and continue to be some of the best fans in the country because you supported me, and I, I'm deeply appreciative of that. Last question. I think a lot of Baylor fans who have followed the situation closely, who are active on Twitter, who – are engaged with the football team know the impact that you've made on our players and on our school, you know, myself included. So how can we support you and changing the narrative and all of these things that you are doing? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, the website is called I'm Changing the Narrative. So check it out and see how it applies to your own life. You know, if you see a tweet with the hashtag Be a King or, or Changing the Narrative, retweet it. You know, uh, I tell you what, after I left Baylor and then I went to Alabama over the summer, uh, partly because of Baylor fans, I had over 2 million impressions on Twitter for Changing the Narrative. Wow. So don't ever let anybody tell you that good news doesn't sell. Uh, because it does. And the other thing that I would just say to Baylor fans is, and students and fans alike is, is, you know, one, be a king or be a queen. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I want you to, uh, to be royalty in every facet of your life with your word, your effort, your time, your character, who you are, because really it's who you are when no one's looking is who you really are, right? And so if you can get the, the central message of my message to these players and that is, it's not about you. Like, your life is not about you, and once you figure that out, like, if I had never met Kevin Turner, who had ALS and climbed Kilimanjaro for him, I would still be some fame-hungry sportscaster. But he changed my life and helped me realize that we are not put on this earth for you. So I would ask, you know, Baylor uh, fans and students to, to act in a way and to start to transform your life in a way that uh, – and live it in a way that, uh, that it's on a higher level, a higher plane, as I like to say, in every facet of your life, be a queen, be a king, but also look for ways to get out of your own way and figure out what it is that you were born on this earth for, how you were born to, to, um, to touch and affect others, because this is my legacy. You know, changing the narrative is my legacy, and it's beautiful, and it's bigger. I say this to people with every ounce of my being. It's bigger than any Heisman vote I have, any national championship I do, uh, anything I host to, to 31 million on Sirius XM, it's, it's, you know, a hundred times bigger than that because it's real life and it's young men and, and also young women that I'm affecting. And so you can follow in those same steps as changing the narrative in your own lives. Rachel, thank you so very much for coming on. Please bear with me. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, again, thank you for supporting the cause. Would you do me a favor? If you enjoyed that conversation with Miss Barabo, would you go follow her on Twitter and look into supporting what she's doing? She's really easy to find. It's just at Rachel Barabo on Twitter, and she really has been instrumental in this rebuild that Baylor football is going through, and I cannot, cannot express my thanks to her enough for talking with me and coming on the podcast. If you listened a couple of weeks ago, I actually made a plea on the podcast for her to come on, and she was very gracious and kind with her time to come on and talk to us. So thank you, Miss Rachel Barabo. That's all the time I've got for today. I'd like to thank Tim Watkins and Jeremy Wilson. I'd like to thank Travis Thompson and Sean Scoobel. I'd like to thank all of you for listening to this week's episode. My name is Scotty Swingler, and until next time, this has been Please Bear With Me.